listening to Pick Hard Talk exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome listeners to another episode of Picard Talk. This week we're doing episode two, Maps and Legends. And as usual, it's the two Marks and I will introduce my co-host, Mr. Mark Pollard. Boom. Hello there, how are you? I'm very good. Good, had a good week? Yeah, I was trying to think of something witty to say that was relating to the episode, failed miserably, so move on. Ditto. I'm Mark Latham and together with the two Marks, bringing you excitement, joy, conversation and chat about the latest episode of Star Trek Picard. And we've literally once again watched it. What do you think? First impressions? <laughs> it wasn't as good as the first one. Okay. Must be interesting because I quite liked and enjoyed this one. But we will unpack it further, won't we? We will. So without further ado, let's delve into this episode. So I'm going to hand over to Mark and he's going to give you some important information. Funnily enough, if you listen to this podcast, you probably found us. In which case, it's pointless saying you can find us in all the major podcast platforms. But of course you can. So if you go to the podstation.co.uk, you'll find the uh, Picard Talk uh, page. There's links to all the platforms where you can find us. Please make sure you subscribe so that every time we drop a new episode, and we're going to be moving forward the episodes, so they're going to be dropping even earlier and closer to the release date it'll do it automatically on your device we love comments we love five star reviews that's cool because we get seen a little bit more so we'll get a better audience that's always nice isn't it absolutely we're also on the socials so we'd love to get some stuff going on there because we're a brand new show so we're a brand new platform so we would love to build up the audiences get a nice little buzz we'd love to hear your thoughts let's get some nice juicy arguments going on there so you can find us on instagram twitter facebook Facebook, that's uh, at Picard Talk, that's P-I-C-H-A-R-D Talk. You can also support us on Patreon, we always forget Absolutely. to mention this, we forget that, we? which is the, the kind of the the kind of the important thing isn't it yeah so it's patreon.com forward slash the pod station if you can throw a few bucks into the uh, bin that'd be really handy because it helps us with the cost Lattes. of doing this yeah we drink a lot of coffee whilst recording these shows so please the diet pills so that we, 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 we're not as fat as the people who are clearly making fun of us if you see data yes add, add 10 episode. stone yeah what, what, what is it what's the thing they say nice on the phone add 10 stone that's us that's us <laughs> we do like debate but be mindful of the fact that Mark Pollard is always right <laughs> and if I'm not please see rule number one <laughs> let's deep dive into episode two maps and legends so the synopsis of this episode Picard begins investigating the mystery of Daj as well as what her very existence means to the Federation without Starfleet support Picard is left leaning on others for help including Dr Agnes Gerati and an estranged former colleague Rafi Musica hopefully I've said that correctly meanwhile hidden enemies are also interested in where Picard's search for the truth about Daj will lead discuss uh huh <laughs> go on right okay let me get this off my chest it's like a therapy session okay for the premiere they showed the first three episodes to all of the critics okay patrick stewart was trying to get amazon to show or cbs all access wherever you watch it we're trying to get them to show the first three episodes as a collection clearly suggesting that the three episodes are essentially part one of this 10 episode series the fact that that was clearly something that he thought was beneficial to the viewer is quite telling for this episode the first three episodes and bear in mind they're about 40 minutes per episode it'd be in about an hour and a half or there or thereabouts yeah as like a, a trilogy it's not that long it had been a great intro for the series it would have stopped this episode from being just an 
avalanche of information which is done in some of the most on-point ways possible i mean just marginally stopped short of patrick stewart staring at the camera and going did you get that guys <laughs> you know what i mean it just it and that's that was really irritating because i enjoyed it it was a good episode but it wasn't as good as last week because last week was a nice mixture of filling in some of the gaps of what's happened over the last 20 years plus moving the story forward okay Today was pretty much all about just cramming in as much back information as humanly possible so that next episode, when he goes and undoubtedly starts collecting his crew, bearing in mind this is a 10-episode series, yep. and we're going to be in episode three, so we're going to be almost... I mean, maths isn't great, we're nearly 33 a third. and a third. Yeah, so we're nearly a third of the way through the series, and we haven't even got up planet Earth yet. True. You know, we're going to get the crew together, but don't worry, because the crew bit and persuading everyone to get on board is going to be fine, because we're going to know why, because we spent the entire episode two having to learn the whole back history of the last 20 years, and that's sticks me craw a little bit because when you're not on a syndicated platform yeah there is no time constraints we've banged on about this and you won't know yet because we haven't released disco fever <laughs> but we bang on incessantly about the fact that if there's no time constraints to how long your episode can be i don't understand why we keep sticking it in at 40 minutes mm-hmm. if it needs to be 50 minutes just so you can have a nicer paced episode do it yeah do you know what I mean? I agree. That's my beef for this episode. What did you think? I enjoyed it in terms of the fact I did think it, as you have said, it continued the development of the stories that started in episode one. So we got a bit more backstory to why Picard had left Starfleet and his reasons behind there. We get to see a bit more of the Borg cube and delve a bit further into what that could be. I do believe... Ten episodes is too short. Well, it is, but man, we've spent two just telling the backstory. Well, we're a fifth into it now. We can't... Look at you showing off with all your maths. <laughs> Fractions, actually. We're a fifth into the show. Actually, now we're starting to collect the crew, as you say. The problem with that is, as we have talked about in Discovery, is systemic in shows that are limited to a shorter season run. What will happen is something will compromise along the narrative. We will end up either shoehorning characters in oh by the way there's and we have a crew suddenly of 10 people or other things will be missed and there is when he starts getting lazy i get why to address your thing about the three episodes being shown at the same time i get why that is if amazon are going to charge people for it it doesn't make good business sense to go is three of them then you don't need to subscribe because you're getting it free for a month and then they give you three yeah they're wanting three months with a free month plus two months worth of subscriptions as opposed to one free month and one paid yeah. month of subscriptions. I get that, but from a viewing perspective, it does. It, I think it undermines this episode a little bit, and I don't think that was necessary. Previous shows, in fact, have shown when they launched them, have done either a double bill or two episodes together. My nose hurts some of the stuff that was that much on the nose, <sighs> and I've got whiplash from that much information that was crammed into my brain in a 40 minute section. Yeah, I just think that could have been done better. It was still a good episode. And it's, it's still Picard, so well, give him a free pass anyway. I think that all of the negative points, it will just be out Picard, let it go. Yeah, it's just... Uh, although I do wish he'd stop banging that Earl Grey drum, because that's getting a little bit tired. <laughs> Let's see if they manage to keep that going whilst he's in space. I appreciate when he was in his ready room and he'd go over and he'd go, Earl Grey... Hot. Tea, hot. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, he'd do that. That was fine because that was sort of a habit. And that was his thing, that. wasn't it? Yeah, yeah that, it, was that, his, was what yeah. He, that was a thing that he did either to break the tension or to give him time to think when he's conversing with someone yeah. or sort of to start his thinking process off. Whereas this time it's like, oh, look, there's a, a pot of Earl Grey over there and 
Have you tried Earl Grey? To, I mean, they seem to be shoehorning it in a little bit, and I, mean, I don't think that's necessary. Are they being sponsored by Typhoo? Well, he likes Yorkshire tea, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Because he's from Huddersfield. You, you hadn't mentioned that in episode one, had you? No, big up the Yorkshire. <laughs> I did uh, notice that, but this time he didn't say decaf, so we're getting an evolution of his tea drinking. Maybe by episode 10 it's Bacardi and Coke. Well, he found out he's going to die, so <laughs> what's the point of not having caffeine in there? Yeah, well, that doesn't, it doesn't make sense, does it? It's like people it's who like, have decaf coffee, just don't drink coffee. Well, it's like drinking alcohol that's alcohol-free. Just don't drink. <laughs> this is, what's the point? I suppose we should talk about the episode, really. Let's let's get into this now. Let's uh, let's get into it. What Delve. We, we love delving. Well, let's do some delving. We, we, we use the word delving multiple times. You've, you, you're you're commissioned for the word delve. Roll up the sleeve and get right in there. Um, <laughs> so we start off on Utopia Planitia. Oh yes. We go back in time, baby. Is it eleven years uh, to first contact day? It first contact day, of course, before the synthetics go rogue. Indeed. And we actually witness it happening. We get to see a little bit more of the backstory to what has happened. Now, obviously, we've mentioned this before. We don't get to see the Children of Mars short trek, which would have given us a lot more to get our teeth stuck into. It would have been a touch useful. I believe so, too. What we do get is a little snapshot. We do get to see the uh, Utopia Planitia yards, which we haven't really seen ever. Well, we see a room. <laughs> We get the wide shot, don't yeah. we? Never seen this before. Nice little bit of track cannon to dig into, even though if it is brief enough, because it goes, there it is. Oh no, it's been blown up. The end. And so we do get to see it a little bit. And I'm quite happy that we're on first contact day, which plays tribute to the flight of the Phoenix. Hang on a minute though. The meals really suck ass. I mean, they've got replicators <laughs> that can replicate any type of food. And, and presumably, or it seems, well, I don't know. It seems that it replicates it into the tray. Yeah. But I don't remember that being the case on next gen. Next gen, you got the plate in the you replicator as well. Yeah, you got the plate. So I don't understand why they can't have the plate with nice food for the workers. It seems they've got prison cell trays filled with really prison cell looking food. And it looks like a microwave yeah. that, that it's delivered in. And, and they even make fun of the food, don't they? And I don't understand why, because I'm pretty certain in 2380, whatever it was, they could probably have come up with better food than microwaved meatballs. Yeah, I think they're trying to set the scene that it's an industrial... It's like working on an oil rig, trying to give the impression it's on Mars for one, which is not a very hop- a bit a bad place to live uh, it's easy for you to say. <laughs> yeah. So I think they're probably trying to set the scene that this isn't kind of a home from home. It's not like being on a starship. It's a industrialised, dirty, horrible working environment. No, no, but if we're going to be nitpicky, then I'm definitely pulling them on that. <laughs> well, you don't have to pull them for long, do you? Because what happens immediately after grey meatballs things? I know. I mean, I was quite surprised. Bearing in mind the utopia that is planet Earth and the outward thinking, equal society that is Earth and Earthlings and the Federation generally, I was really quite surprised by how derogatory they were towards the synthetics pretty much throughout that short clip. The guy racks up and obviously calls them all plastic people. That's right, yeah. Um, And (laughs) they then follow that up with sort of making fun of them or making fun of F8 in the room at the time. And it it felt a lot... I kind of see what they're doing and I can see why, but they're not the first synthetics to have existed. I mean, data has existed for ages and there's obviously been a number of different datas. And as we saw in Discovery, it's not unusual to find people with robotic bits in them. So it's it's not 
uncommon, clearly. It seems that pe- most people haven't quite got their heads around the fact that there are androids and that you should perhaps treat them with an element of respect. I do believe, though, that this actually sets the ongoing problem, which if you go back to data, to the episode Measure of a Man, the actual story premise there is he doesn't believe data is sentient and therefore mm. is the property of Starfleet. He continues Maddox, I'm talking about. Before then, Maddox wanted to stop him getting into Starfleet. He didn't succeed and then doesn't want him to be proven to be sentient. That goes way back to Next Generation. So what we're continuing is the fact that people still don't believe them to be equal. Yeah. The point that you're saying, which is valid, you know, Star Trek, the Gene Roddenberry vision, is that there's no marked identities, everybody's equal, there's no famine, there's no poverty there's no starvation everybody is happy money doesn't exist anymore you know the replicated food has got rid of all of the 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 need for people to starve there's no wars now everybody is peaceful and yet with all that going on people are still mean to androids or since now i did pick up the point from last episode which was we were trying to work out the difference yeah and i've got the official oh cool explanation i say official to google (laughs) The answer from the previous episode, an android is a humanoid robot, a synth is a type of android that is almost indistinguishable from a human. All synths are androids, but not all androids are synths. Right, I see. So we were saying that you could identify an android by the way it looks. So were they androids or synthetics? Because they weren't indistinguishable from a human, really, because you could tell they had that data look about them, the pale skin, the the yellow yellow eyes. So they would be probably synths, but not ones that would be made. Certainly not to the level of Darge that were... Correct. And they would be, I don't know, drone synths. So the synths that would probably... If we're concluding that data is sentient and data is the benchmark, then we're saying that synths also have a right to be sentient. And therefore, what they are in there is drones that are just kind of treated like you would treat a toaster. They are synths, but I would imagine not fully developed on purpose because they don't need to be. They're literally going into dangerous situations where we don't want humans working. A bit like Boston Dynamics has has created various robots for the military to use. Similar to that. My toaster ain't as scary looking as those, though. And he certainly doesn't have a tattoo on his head. <laughs> well, what was, what was his tattoo? It was an F8. Which spells... Fate. Mic drop. Thank you. Anyway, it was a suitably streamed style scene, this. Oh. A bit like Discovery because... Quentin Tarantino style. Yeah, they, <laughs> they don't hold back, do they? This continues what we kind of picked up on the last episode with the fact that there's literally now we are in mature themes. Yeah, we haven't had a flash of boob yet. That will be a Star Trek first. Any online petition, let's have the first Star Trek boob. <laughs> or, or penis. Or, or, or. Everyone should get a flash. Well, I mean, two boobs and a penis, which is the name of my autobiography. <laughs> I mean, he went to town. It was a nice little shoot through the chest, fight through the head. Well, the first thing, which was raw, was the guy goes to stop him doing his hand jobby thing. Not not hand job, but obviously the hand jobby thing. And then he just, gets, he just doesn't even look behind him. He just snaps his neck, doesn't he? Yeah. Boom. We, yeah. Start, we start the violence right there. <laughs> I thought that was brilliant. I mean, that's good. That's no, good. I, no, I like that. We're happy with the action. We even threw in a couple of swear words during the course of that episode. We Again, did. I've heard people crying about it. Don't quite understand why. 
I mean, yeah. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of fucking swearing. It's you all are. good. That's why these have mature content on them or explicit. <laughs> it's why we've managed to half our audience availability. But yeah, in all seriousness, I, it doesn't matter. It's great. Do it as long as it works. I, it's I think people use swear words, don't they? Apart from those who are slightly intellectual and only have five chromosomes, the ones who use it, like comedians, use it for effect. And I think it does elevate the emotional delivery of a sentence. So instead of just saying, don't do that, don't fucking do that, sounds better, doesn't it? Well, it's when the Admiral swears at at Picard and people going, oh, it was a bit forced. No, it wasn't. She was absolutely fuming. She was lit. This fella who'd walked out on the Federation and then, worse still, had slagged them off on telly the day before. Yeah. Had the audacity to walk into her office and go... Do you know what? Can I have a ship? <laughs> Can I have a ship, please? Um, in fact, I'll tell you what. Look, I'll do you a favour. You don't need to make me an admiral. I'll stick with being a captain. But yeah, I'll have a ship, please. And a crew. I'd be like, get to fuck. Yeah. Also, can you make sure it's fuelled? <laughs> yeah. I don't, uh, and I'll have a couple of cute crew as well, if that's yeah. okay. Oh, just a small crew. And do I get a petrol card? <laughs> What's the expenses? Yeah. But yeah, I mean... It, I would have I'd have said more than just one swear word. I think if someone had sat at my desk and asked me for a load of stuff. Well, I think you would have set your phaser to more than stun, wouldn't you? Yeah. So in that case, I, I thought it was perfectly great. And I, I particularly like Laris throwing in the old uh, Irish feck. Is that even classed as a swear word? Well, I don't care. It's, it's a cracking word. And I particularly like it when the Irish accent throws it out there because it's usually one of disdain or are usually one of just absolute exasperation with the idiot that they're trying to communicate with. Agreed. So I, I'm, I'm all for it. It just bring me, brings me back to the Father Ted days with Reverend Jack or whatever. I didn't it. watch it, but um, I, oh. I, I know there's some these decent episodes with people use as uh, classic memes. Yeah. But we've kind of jumped a little bit around here, and I wanted to just make a point of the fact that we do pay tribute to First Contact Day, which I kind of mentioned in the last episode, which is now apparently a holiday. So obviously, it happened on the April the 5th, a real holiday? Are we talking the TV show? TV show, show oh. holidays. I know, we don't I was get... I was getting a day off then. <laughs> I don't think we get April the 5th off, which is very sad. And maybe we is should... Is that what it is, April the 5th? Yeah. I'm going to put that in my diary. April the 5th, so if you're a Star Wars fan, it's, I am. it's Listen, May the 4th. I'm actually, I'm actually doing it now. <laughs> I, want, I, want to, I want this in my diary. I'm going to take the day off. First contact day? Yes. That, isn't mean, that doesn't mean you touch yourself. Well, that's fine. Every day is first contact. <laughs> you, you continue while I put this in my diary. I, I will. I will share with the listeners the importance of 2063. Those who are fans of the episode, or the film, in fact, first contact, we see Zephyrin Cochran, who is doing his Flight of the Phoenix, uh, which is the first pivotal interaction between humans and Vulcans, uh, and that occurred on April 5th, 2063. Again, we obviously see this opening shot of the Mars Polynesia yards on opening the, uh, the the day off which is why they're a bit annoyed because they're not um, they're not having a day off are they which is sad for them and doubly because not only do they get meatballs that are a bit brown brown balls but they also get they killed a bit wrinkly as well didn't they wrinkly brown balls for you then it is not the best thing to have but also they get killed well, we shouldn't judge some people might like him yep <laughs> <laughs> moving on indeed what I want to say is we get a confirmation of what I kind of mentioned as a theory last episode, which was the Tel Shiar. Yeah. But not the Tel Shiar, because no. we've gone Tel Shiar, which is obviously acknowledges them. The secret agency that is Tel Shiar. But now, apparently, there's a cabal who there's is... A super, super there's a super, super secret. They're all secret around here. 
Yeah. And they're called. Oh my god. Well, I've I've written that as vash or I'm, that sash. I had jad vash and uh, or vag vag. It sounds like a venere, ven, venereal <laughs> disease. If your vag is ill, use vagisil. And they also went through a record of trying to use that name the most number of times Absolutely. inside the two minutes. How many times did they use it? Oh, I don't know. But between uh, Larry Sabar and. Uh, Saban and, and Jean-Luc, they fired that word out. So there was no chance of forgetting it, although I have forgotten it. And I'm still... I'm, I've tried to spell it badly in the hope that phonetically it might remind me that it's called Zatvash. Which is wrong. Um, oh. I've got Vajvash, um, which is not it's right not, either. It's, it just it's, makes it's me giggle. Yeah. It's, just, it's just funny. And it's particularly funny because it's just like... Super, super secret. Yeah. And they've already existed. For thousands and thousands of years. Like, the biggest secret, well, other than that red shirts get killed on away, away missions. Quick question. What's the relationship between Laris and Zaban? Aren't they brothers and sister? Are they brother and sister? I, I thought he said, you're thinking about when he was describing about how yeah, she's she, secret. She, she was like, oh, uh, you know, a drunk woman and a horny man told us about this story. And he and was he like, you mean mum and dad? And yeah. I, I didn't know whether that was his mum and dad and that's how they know each other or whether that's that's both their collective mums and dads. Initially, I thought it may be his, her mother-in-law and his mum and her father-in-law and his dad. But then when I gave it a bit more thought, I think, I think the they're brother and sister. sister. Yeah. Which is cool. I mean, because I like those two. I do. I, think I particularly like a... her, but I do like him. The other thing that's important, which adds value to your comment on the last episode, is because they are both, in fact, Tal Shiar, and you were saying, why were they hanging around when he was talking? Well, they're spies. I, 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 there's only Jean-Luc Picard who could get the Tal Shiar to clean his toilets. Yeah, and he's like, make it so. <laughs> the date, the dishes need to be done over there. Engage. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. It's like, I'll have some secret agents, please, as my housekeepers. <laughs> But she, I mean, they're clearly useful because... Oh, big time. She knows what she's doing, doesn't she? Because they promptly uh, visit Darge's gaff, which raises a GDPR issue, people, because just being able to transport into somebody's flat has to have... I mean, there has to be some sort of issue with You that. mean apart from breaking in? Well, it's breaking and entering, isn't it? So how... I mean, presumably as a former captain of the flagship of the Federation and as a former Tal Shiar agent presumably they've been able to get around any security systems that there were but it does beg the question as to what security systems are in place for those kind of things they've probably just bypassed all that haven't they yeah and also dead I mean what's the law on someone's house being empty yeah did she lease her was, was it leased did she own it do we know? Was it in probate? Did she give proper notice? Maybe it was Data's daughter kind of willed it to Picard after her death. Now, watching this scene second time round made me less frustrated, is the word I'm going for, than the first time I watched this scene because this was probably the particular scene where it was sort of crashing through the uh, history, facts and <laughs> space sci-fi babble to get to the points in what you wanted to do. So Laris has obviously got this gizmo that allows her to 
effectively look back in time. Like an electronic wand. Yeah, uh, but it's not that good because she obviously can't see the people who then beam on board and do it, and she's talking about scrubbers, which, <laughs> where I come from, means something slightly different, but there we go. So there's a lot of scrubbers who break into the house. This house is the easiest house to break into <laughs> in the future. She needs to up her security. She's dead now, doesn't matter. No, it's all pointless. <laughs> yeah. She's got this, and then it's a bit like the old Dixie investigation. Well, you see, this is why I was, when I was watching it, I was remembering what you said in episode one and we were well, we were talking and you said you liked the way it looked with him being a bit like Dixon Hill which is obviously a callback to Next Generation and his love of the Dixon Hill novels in the holodeck and it was very Picard investigating this mystery isn't it yeah but it's like Laris goes well if I press this button and maybe I do this then perhaps that will happen which is where you kind of want to go well just do it and make it appear I don't need to have you position. Dis- I don't need you to have to describe what it is. And then she looks at Picard, who's standing there like a lemon, and goes, so, perhaps if we did this, this, and this, it might work. What do you think, Captain Picard? <laughs> yes, I think that'll work. Wink at the camera. Yes, let's try that. Oh, look! It worked! <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's where this episode let itself down a touch. I don't think it needed to keep explaining what they were doing to get the information they needed. She could have gone, made it all done, and, and Picard could have gone, how did you do that? She goes, do you really want to know? At which point he could have gone, no, not really. We've got the stuff. Let's go. Mm. And I'd have been quite happy with that because that would have fitted in with Laris's rather feisty, very useful, able, former secret agent uh, yeah. character. And a magician never tells the tricks, really. No. So I, I agree. I think this is where we're going to find, we're going to be explained to the nth degree, the, the most minutiae of, of things. And then that will be at risk of losing a bit of context to the story. Yeah, Picard wouldn't have know, needed to know because he just wants to know the final information, at which point they can both then move on to the next. You've saved yourself five minutes of filming and we can actually slow the Agreed. speed of the, the episode well, you down. You see that in fil- filmmakers use that a lot. You know, when someone's travelling from one place to another, you have someone going through a door, but you don't see them physically open the door and close the door behind them. You know they've gone through that door. You don't need to be told that. Yeah. And that's where this slightly fails. Yeah. Anyhow, we then pan over to the Borg ship, the Borg nice. cube. <laughs> where we find that Narek has some serious lines because he's walked in there and he's gone, Soji, yo. And she's gone, Narek, let's go to my room. <laughs> and they have lovely sex. They have sexy times. <laughs> they do. And there's no suggestion that they've known each other for a, a, a sustained period. In fact, that first scene at the end of episode one suggests they've only just met. Yes. But either he's a magician with the ladies or Soji's a little bit loose. Or he's got GHB. Yeah, or, of course, she might be really good with the fellas and he might be a little bit loose. But either way, they've ended up into a a cosy cuddly situation pretty quickly. Mm. And bearing in mind how, what's the word I'm looking for? Suspicious, how keen to avoid any sort of discussions about who he is, what he does. Um, He wouldn't fill me with a natural, oh, let's go down this dark alley together type situation, you know. He strikes me as the person you want to stay the fuck away from. Well, the only people who I know are like that are married people. Or Tal Shiar. Or Tal Shiar. It's like, um, we're not going to talk about this. And he's like, I'm a very private person. How many men who are married and meet some woman in the hotel room said that line? Don't ring me. I'll ring I'll, you. I'll ring you on my, on my burner phone. What I did like, though, which was a bit of a, a contrast, is that you've got this wonderful bedroom on a Borg ship. Yeah. 
the Borg, the most um, efficient industrial processing plant ever. And they've got a bedroom. Yeah. With all the... A double bed. Abs- well, you, you know, he, he likes to roll over. and spread out in comfort, he, Yeah, he, he likes to starfish. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is not an innuendo. He likes to just sleep in the shape of a star. Well, Sodji likes to sleep in uh, Simon Cowell underpants. They are the biggest pants ever. She got them bad boys pulled up right to underneath her armpits. That looks like a thong just gave birth to another three thongs, doesn't it? I mean, how big are those pants? Yeah. She wasn't expecting any sexy times, was she, when she decided, hmm, what underwear to put on? What's the score with Narek's earpiece? Because you mentioned, I mentioned this to you before, and you suggested it it might be a communicator, but I'm not entirely convinced it might not be like a Borg implant that they can't get rid of. You thought Borg, and there's there's a legitimacy to why I don't think it's Borg. We've already established he's a Tal Shiar. Hang on, hang on, hang on. (laughs) Let's just remember that rule number one is Mark's always right. (laughs) Let's go back to yes. <laughs> but continue your theory. I will. I'll let's, continue let's the theory. Pretend, let's knowing. pretend that you could have been right, but yeah. probably aren't. Let's pretend in the multiverse that a version of me is in fact right, and a version of you is wearing those massive pants that she has. <laughs> uh, and they're chafing. They so, are. <laughs> basically, what the theory was, he's got something in his ear. Mark, who's always right, said, maybe he's a kind of an old Borg, or a Borg that is no longer. And I said, well, No. <laughs> I said, I th- <laughs> see rule number one, <laughs> and, and there lies the <laughs> loop. I said no. I thought it was a communicator because the reason and the evidence for why I think that is one, he's a Telshiar, therefore a spy. Would you put a Telshiar who used to be a Borg in charge of the huge Borg ship? If you were a spy, would you have your secret communicator on the side of your head so, for all to see? Well, you wouldn't. <laughs> But maybe he could say he's hard of hearing and it's a, a hearing device. Oh, right. So they haven't cured deafness in 2380-something. Possibly. <laughs> Give over. Well, I mean, all right, okay. Well, in they've that cured, case, then... They've cured blindness, but they haven't cured deafness. Let's use the fact that he is a Borg. He's the luckiest Borg ever. Why? Just to have that one single thing in his ear. And you go, um... Could I just be a low-calorie Borg? I mean, I'm happy to just be kind of a diet Borg. Well, as they point out, he's a hot one, so maybe when the Borg were assimilating, they were like, well, let's not spoil the face too much, because he, be he could be the latest advertisement for becoming a Borg drone. So uh, leave the face, work on the body. Yeah, yeah. not the money shot. <laughs> so I don't think he's a Borg, basically. And I know rule one is you're always right. Exactly. But, you know, there could be... We'll loop, t- we'll loop back to this if I am right, and we'll delete it well, if yeah, I'm not. It'll be re-edited with the, the director's cut. We also then pan out to find out that John Luke's on his way out. We do, actually, yeah. We could call back to All Good Things episode of Next Generation, which yeah. ended, if anyone remembers, season seven, episode 25, that Picard had developed a degenerative neurological disorder called eromodic syndrome and then obviously it would be it was widely discussed as whether to this would be uh, referenced in the new show and here we have it this is the call back to that so it continues i quite like that actually are these his borg implants or is this no, just like no, no. a genetic this thing? this is a genetic thing yeah i mean right. i know see i thought it was his borg things but no it's not all right okay did you notice that he's obviously gone to dr ben Ayun from the stargazer yeah uh, and jibbed off old bev yeah, maybe they couldn't get her back in the show, and that's why. Well, they why. obviously got. I mean, I'm sure they don't want to keep on bringing. Well, she doesn't cameos do anymore, does she? For everyone. Well, we saw, didn't we, at the uh, Star Trek convention? Yeah, she's, she's more of a director. Isn't she's she, like now? a dance school teacher now. Yeah. 
But, I mean, obviously, from a storyline perspective, there could be a whole host of reasons. All the storylines suggested she becomes a captain, so she could be yeah. off, off planet being a captain somewhere. Yep. She could be living off planet because, hey, we're in the 2380-something. We, we can't cure deafness, but we can all live on different planets in the uh, galaxy. Yep. There's a whole host of reasons why he might... She could still be on Starfleet, so he might not want to put her in as difficult a situation. Um, Maybe comp- he's upsetter. Well, that's another thing. Perhaps they disagreed on the whole Romulan mm-hmm. situation. So there are genuine reasons why I could see he didn't call on Bev to what about look Doc- at him. Dr. Pulaski? Dr. Pulaski. Well, I would have called her, would you? No. <laughs> I don't, I think, would, you, I don't no. think you liked her very much. Well, to be fair, neither did NBC. Now, this brought up another question for me, Ooh. which was, because could, there could have been a call. Again, I suspect they wanted to avoid the cameo situation, but could they have called upon the Doctor from Voyager? But then it also occurred to me, is he classed as a synthetic and therefore illegal and therefore has been decommissioned? Well, he was a hologram, wasn't he? He was, but he's he he kind of falls into that mm. remit of a artificial intelligence. I mean, I may well. The thing is, is, I don't want to discount actually the Doctor because I think there could well be for season two a few more cameos. No, no, but if you're thinking about now. And the fact that we've learned that synthetics are illegal and they've shut the whole thing down. See, I don't down. know whether he's synthetic then. Well, he's an artificial intelligence, so it is the. It'd be interesting to know the answer. Does he fall into that category? And have they therefore switched him off a bit? Well, I mean, the question I think you're asking is: Are we saying that AIs are outlawed or synths are outlawed? Mm. Because an AI is essentially a computer hologram. Yeah, but you wouldn't know he was a no, hologram, would you? Because well, he's punched you him in the t- face, you'd know. We no, no, because you could actually touch him when he had his doodah on, didn't he? Uh, when he had his yeah, it was, yeah. It, that allowed him to walk around the ship, didn't it? With the yeah. different his capacity. mobilizer yeah. thing, so yeah. you could touch him. So you wouldn't know he was a hologram, but for the thing That's on his true. arm, obviously you could cover up. Good, well, a good question. My my immediate answer would be that I would say he was more of a AI than an actual physical synth. But, you know, if you've got purists who don't really identify the difference, if it's all technically advanced stuff and they're kind of a blanket on that, then maybe. And uh, when Dr. Ben Ayun starts to try and reminisce about the good old days... Oh, shut up. There's no way Picard... Uh, there's no way Bev Crusher would have put up with Picard going, nope, stop talking about that. I need you to just sign me off. She'd have gone... Listen, you. You've dragged me all the way here. You're gonna to listen to a story before I before I start doing what you're telling me to do, Jean Luc. So yeah, do, do we think he's in Starfleet then, in order to sign him off, or is he just a doctor and therefore able to perform the tests? What do we think? It's clear, isn't it, that he's called upon someone who he knows is going to be more malleable to his outcome than other people in Starfleet. Yeah, although he did say that all of his tests came in within the right parameters. It was only that condition you've mentioned. that Which may well be, it's degenerative. So he had to have had some sort of suspicion that that might be a stumbling block for him to get to his commission again. I suppose, which is why he came in person, mm. you know. Um, no, as in like Jean-Luc right. must have known that he was fine to mm. get commissioned again, but for p- potentially his condition might have got worse. In which case, he must have been sort of prepared for the news he got, if you know what I mean. Yeah, he's a bit he's a bit savvy, isn't he, old Picard? He is. He, he knows. knows everything, he knows. John Luke. Yeah. On the back of that, he takes a trip to Starfleet. 
Nice. Um, which was a very Harry Potter-esque approach where they get to uh, the Ministry of Magic and they're all coming through these gates, magically appearing. It was a bit like that with the old Transport. Yeah, I, I, I saw more the episode of Edge of Tomorrow with the portals equally as valid. Because you're, you're a bit of a Harry Potter fan, aren't you? So, I am. Yeah. And uh, I've got one word to describe that situation. Two Vicks. Okay. You've got that many people using the same transporter pads that yeah. quickly in such short succession. You're going to end up with a different part from somebody else, surely. Well, we ended up seeing the same extra from the Borg ship, didn't we? Who had the busiest job ever being in three or four different scenes. My point, exactly. She yeah. obviously... She, she, she was on the Borg yeah. ship. She jumped through a transporter. Next minute, I'm in San Francisco. Or maybe she wasn't. Maybe it was a hair was implanted onto somebody else's head mm. as they walked out of the transporter. But the long and short of it is, uh, it looked quite cool. What we do see, though, in a kind of a blink and you'll miss it moment, is a Andorian who walks past the back of Picard very quickly. Yeah, you see one later on as we well. We see loads, to be yeah. fair. Literally, they're throwing them all in. What you also see is when he goes into the atrium area of Starfleet, you know, there's the Enterprise ships, if you notice... The first Enterprise yeah. is the one from Discovery, is the Enterprise design from Star Trek Discovery, which is quite a nice callback. Yeah. And then obviously you've got D pops up. Yeah, we don't get to see the E, but I mean, the D is the one that's basically the next generation. Well, that was the longest running one, yeah, wasn't we, it? So I understand is, is why that's... The films clearly are canon because you've got First Contact Day. That's in there. The ball cube, as I've already said, is from First Contact, supports that theory. And then obviously you've got it going from D. Now, I'm supposing the reason why it goes to D is that, uh, is that now that ship has now probably been decommissioned. Well, it's because it crashed. Well, they smashed into a planet, didn't <laughs> yeah, they? So That'll probably, do it. Yeah. But don't forget, though, that's the Galaxy class. So the USS Galaxy may well be still going. Yeah, maybe. Because obviously the USS Constitution was the first Constitution class that looked like the Enterprise. Well, about boring you with the techno babble and malarkey, basically, probably because it's decommissioned, I'm assuming the Enterprise E, or in fact F, is still going. Yeah, well, clearly the tit on reception didn't look up at the enormous hologram of the ships above his head and no. go, hmm, I know who it was who used to captain that ship when John Luke Picard wanders up to his desk and he goes, uh, I don't know who you are, what's your name? I mean, I'd, I I have to be honest, I'd have probably leant over and uh, introduced his <laughs> nose to me forehead if it had been that rude to me. Yeah. And I was Jean-Luc. That, I think, sets the fact that he's been out of Starfleet for a while. No, I get that, but... It's, so, it's rude, though, it, isn't it's it? It's very hard, because he goes, oh, it's nice to see you up and about again, Captain, but... Mm. You must recognise him. He doesn't look that different. No, agreed. And as I've just said, there is a huge hologram of his ship on a rotating basis above your head mm. where you work all day, every day, yeah. and you can't recognise the fellow who used to drive it. Do you set the scene, isn't it, that there's a shift in the way um, the, the kind of Starfleet is now? It's kind of, He's kind of old school, and now we're into the new age, the postmodern era of Star Still. Trek. His cards marked. Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, did um, we did get to see, because we were talking about this in episode one, is there, in fact, a nuance to the uniform. The, yeah, there's a new... What did you think of the new uniform? Well, it's, it's a bit more angular. The neck is, instead of being tapered, is, is angular, and then on the sleeves is angular. They've modernised it slightly. So it's the same as it's been, apart from the ones that we saw with the grey top, which was in first contact. It's interesting how they've gone back to the colours from where they had the grey top one. I think because they didn't really change them, Voyager prevented them from keep changing it simply because they were nowhere near a local no, fashion No, no, but when they, when they made it sort of grey top, but with the coloured 
yeah. under clothing. It made more sense for me because when you go on an away team mission and you're walking around with a bright yellow outfit, um, it's not very good camouflage, is it, when you're having no. a, a phaser shootout and everyone can see you. I quite like these sort of first contact ones. And in fact, into insurrection. But I get your point. It was a bit. It was a less in your face, but mostly the fact that we're doing away team missions too. Well, it felt peaceful. more like a uniform, but with enough colour to still distinguish between the different yeah. sections from a recognisable. So for people who recognise the series, those uniforms had been cemented, should I say, in people's minds. It was in Next Gen. It was in Voyage. It was in Deep Space Nine. If you hadn't seen First Contact, you might not have seen that as being the uniform of choice. And the new communicator now is the is, visitor one. No, the one. So the one the Commodore's got from all good has things a, has a black sort of look to it, which I don't know whether that suggests she's in Section Thirty One or whether it's just the new badge I that seems to have her. So it's a callback, isn't it, to the episode All Good Things, which was interesting because that was alternate future badge, which they've obviously embraced. And I think what they may have done is made it a bit more updated by making it black and a bit more militaristic. I know, but because of Discovery and the way that the black badge is Agreed. Section Thirty One, because we are looking this for, looking at this episode forensically, we're thinking, well, could it be Section Thirty One? And it could all be a red herring. Yeah. But then it may not. What we do find out is that Picard's got some massive pair of swingers because <laughs> to walk in and ask for that shift, he, you've got to have some brass ones, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's when no was, other way of describing it. When he was listing all these things, I was like, really? And I'll have a coffee machine. Uh, Goblin, <laughs> Goblin's tea made. Do bed service turnover? If you can turn over a chocolate on the pillow. <laughs> Uh, if I can also, can I get Amazon Prime in, in the room? <laughs> I mean, uh, we've already mentioned that we completely can understand why the Admiral kicked off about it, but he definitely had that air of, I used to be a serious somebody within the Federation because he was, he was quite matter-of-fact about what he was asking for, and there seemed to be no shadow of doubt in the way he was <laughs> no, asking it. He just asked the answer it, was going to be yeah. no. He's not used to the answer being no when yeah. he asked for stuff, is it, there? It was just because he had such a sway. I thought it was it was a nice moment. I actually quite enjoyed the the fact that he was li- just listing off this thing and with the expectation to be yes, and then get a reminder, don't we, that it's on a streaming channel because she says she says, "Fucking hell, John Luke, you dickhead!" <laughs> she says exactly that. Get the fuck. She's not Irish, that's the other one. <laughs> no, but she does swear at him, and quite rightly so. I mean, it's strange. This, I mean, I thought this scene was really clever. More of these types of scenes, because it wasn't fast-paced, it wasn't loaded with shed loads of information, and yet it told you a huge amount about the fact that the Federation has moved on. It told you a huge amount about why the Federation had taken the position it had, which suggests that it's not as black and white as Picard has suggested there is an element of grey there, because she quite rightly says, we do have to make decisions, we can't please everyone, we can't save everyone, we have to go with the greater good, what's going to do the best in terms of justice or peace or whatever that might be. And it actually showed Picard, for being quite binary in the way that he'd approached that situation, you sort of started to sympathise a little bit with the Federation's opinion. Yeah. But then because you're so... Because, of course, we absolutely adore Picard, 
and because as far as we are concerned he's the second coming <laughs> when she turns him down and in such a strong way when Absolutely. she goes this is no longer your house you, I could feel me blood boiling I was like oh John don't stand for that kid that's that's absolutely unacceptable even though they've quite cleverly got me into better understanding that the Federation isn't this all bad thing that's become an all bad thing actually they might be acting perfectly Federation like it just happened to be something that he vehemently disagrees with but now I hate them because they were rude to him and and, and when he's walking away seething down that escalator I'm like oh no you don't need them you don't need them anymore leave them leave them they're, they're good no good but in the back of your mind, you must have known that there was going to be some level of renegade behaviour coming on. Well, yeah, I know, but I think it was it was really clever that I kind of sympathised with the Federation situation, and actually, I would have almost been leaning a bit more away from, you know what, John Luke, you're not necessarily right here, mm. but it was the way that they so cleverly just slammed the door in his face in the way that they did it, yeah. that I instantly went... Yeah, you know, you might have a point and you might be sort of potentially right, but I don't care in I'm with him. <laughs> it did make sense, the decision she was making. is like, obviously, you know, the Romulans were the enemy of the Federation, 16 other planets didn't want to get involved and not help. And so the, it goes back way, way back to when Spock says the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few or the one. So when they're having the, these planets saying, we don't want to get involved, they need to appreciate what other people are saying. 900 million Romulans sounds like a lot, and it is. But if you've, if you've got... 16 planets of 900 million each. Yeah. There's a bit more then, isn't there? Yeah. It puts it into So the needs of the many then outweigh the needs of the few. Prime Directive, which isn't being interfered with here because it's just the mandate of Starfleet, United Federation of Planets. You, you can't be the United Federation Planets and unilaterally decide you're going to help someone. I think it was a valid point. What's going on on this ball cube? What is it that they're doing? I thought it was quite interesting though they had that sign that said it's been 5,400 and something something days since the 16 last... years. Yeah, 16 years, which is... Which is when first contact happened. Yeah, well, it was. It was two years before, of course, the Mars thing. Yeah. Which was quite interesting. Yeah. So that, means, some, that means they've had it since then. The last time it was assimilated was 16 years ago, which is when the second attack happened. Nothing's happened since then, but the fact that that's there poses the question that there's still risk of assimilation, which yeah. is then developed further when we find out that these people are now... One of the things I kind of picked up on was the grey zone. Let's think of Jaws 3. Let's think of most movies not well whatever your opinion of we're not, we're not going to probably do a review on that unless you really really want us to so if you do let us get in touch but we'll also follow that up with the plucking nose hairs <laughs> the thing that i noticed on there was we get to see what was called the, the artifact now isn't it yeah which is which is the ball cube uh, they reference the gray zone now what my thought was is this a typical thing where humans meddle with something that's far far greater than they are i don't know a flu virus, CDC, keep hold of these viruses, and then, oh no, someone steals a vial. Episode of 24. And then it Didn't all. Didn't see that coming. No, I'm just thinking with the way this is going on a board cube, and they're saying about the last assimilation was 16 years ago, clearly there's the chance that somebody may or may not get assimilated. The grey zone saying, be careful, you don't touch anything. And then next minute you find they're taking arms off old Borg. Well, I think realistically, it probably started out with the majority of people going, we haven't got anywhere to live. Here's a ball cube that can house loads of people. 
why don't we take this over? However, there's going to be some dead bog droids knocking about. So what we'll do is we'll work our way systematically through the cube, clearing up the droids, disarming them, and therefore we can live happily ever after in our cube nice and safe. Of course, whenever there's Romulans, well, to be honest, whenever there's any kind of authority body involved, but in this particular case, the Romulans, there's always going to be someone somewhere going, yeah, do you know that really, really useful piece of technology that you've just taken off of that droid? If you put it in that bag over there to not be thrown away, uh, that bag may or may not be there when you come back to work tomorrow morning. And funnily enough, there's probably a room somewhere where all this shit's getting stored. Yeah. And it might get used. Who knows? But it's like, okay, let's let's think of like Jurassic Park. I know what we'll do. We'll create dinosaurs, massive T-Rexes and raptors. What's going to happen? They're going to eat you. Exactly. So I've got a feeling, and especially when they kind of make the comment, which is the exchange between Narek and Soja, which is that the, you know, the Borg cube has no longer got connectivity to the rest of the hive. Yeah. That indicates that the Borg are far from defeated. Yeah. The Borg are a continu- well, a continuance of, of being a threat. And now we've got people going, whatever you do, don't go to the grey zone. And if you do, that alarm that you've got, which is like a radiation monitor, think Chernobyl, that's going to go and blink. And the next minute you're going to go, I'm assimilated by nanotechnology. Oh dear. I think we're going to see something go wrong on the Borg ship. <laughs> and someone's going to end up touching something because people like to touch things, don't they? Pandora's box being the most historic one. We see Dr. Gerati again as well. I mean, there's a... a pretty certain there's little doubt in my mind she's going to be one of the members of Picard's new crew. <laughs> she explains she's been doing some more research and it turns out that they think Daj is only three years old. Okay. Do we think she's a synthetic? I'm not quite sure. I'm undecided, really. It's an interesting question, though. It is. It is. I mean, and, and, and as we're only in episode two, a fifth of the way in, a good theory. Good theory. Because, I mean, come on, this, I reckon episode 10 is going to not just have one cliffhanger. I think it's just going to be a series of things. Which is one, it's been cancelled. <laughs> no. Well, this prompts Picard to decide to uh, go off into the space frontier because it, it almost encourages him to go and find Sodji. I think Dr. Jurati is going to be the first person as a member of the crew. I think it's at this point it starts to get a bit funny for me because, first and foremost, the band suggests that he gets the old band get back together with yes. the next gen crew. Yeah. To which Jean Luc goes, No. I know they'd do it in a heartbeat, but it's just too dangerous. The underlying implication being that he wants people who are disposable. (laughs) (laughs) Or do not demand a higher wage bill. Yeah. (laughs) Which I thought was quite amusing. Uh, I also found it quite amusing that he had to go outside to use his communicator because obviously the signal's really bad in his house, (laughs) which I can sympathise with because the signal's really bad in my house as well. Well, he's on a chateau. So he's in the middle of nowhere. Because he's like, he put, puts the bag, he waits on, goes outside with the badge, puts it on, talks and then goes back inside again. Yeah. So I can't, I can't make phone calls in my house because no one can ever hear me. I mean, that could also be the fact that he's worried about his house being bugged. Well, that's true. Although he has just used a Federation communicator. That's true. Which could be hacked. By the Federation, yeah. funnily enough. Considering the fact that we have a CSI moment with uh, the Commodore. Well, exactly. They're doing a proper... Oh, look, there's a reflection in that lamppost. Yes, a man's face went past there, and we've managed to zoom in to 15 times its normal magnification. Who's Rafi? Right, okay, so our friend who gags into most of our pre-podcasts... Yeah, we're starting to charge him £5 for every mention. It's like it's like having a homeless person turn up for a coffee. He, <laughs> he turns up like a bad penny. Well, not a bad penny. Like a good penny. Throws his penny worth in. 
and then disappears into the night. Well, he's not allowed to stay out and play, is he? So he never stays to do the recordings. No, he's got himself a lady, which um, is a new thing, apparently. I think it's a fad. It won't last long, but uh, he's got himself a lady. Um, He then gives his little pennyworth. He uh, drops his bomb and walks out. He does. I wonder what the smell was. (laughs) He seems to believe, and I'm sure he's right, because he tends to do a lot of... He's very forensic, is our Gareth. When we go to the library, he will Google the hell out of something and then tell you all of it whilst you're watching it the first time. He did, didn't he, before? Yeah. (laughs) God love you, mate, but there's a time and a place for some in-depth analysis, isn't it? It's not while I'm being told something important on the telly. Yeah, literally talking over it. And he's like, well, yeah, you'll find this. Well, I won't find, mate. I would have found it if you just shut the f*** up. (laughs) Anyway, he says that this woman is someone who Picard served with in the ship after... Enterprise. Oh, really? I keep on having people mentioning there's some comic books which kind of tie into this. So there's comic books about the Picard world the may well that be. tie in, which is kind of annoying because obviously I haven't read them. No. Won't read them. No. So therefore, I seem to be missing out on a whole shebang of stuff. Yeah. She's his number one. From the, another ship. Yeah. And I think the comic books do tell you why they're not necessarily on speaking terms. Okay. I don't know. I think probably episode three will be a little bit of backstory about her. Or, unless oh. Gareth pops in, he'll tell me what Google's just told him. Uh, or a man down the pub selling fish. <laughs> well, anyway, we found out she wanted the year of wine that I think he first started brewing it. <laughs> Is that the right word of wine? Well, Apologies fermenting. to wine connoisseurs. Fermenting, yeah. yeah. We've just lost all the wine. Harvesting, growing, yeah. yeah, harvesting, whatever it is. Um... Yeah, I think that was the year that she, that he mentions is the first year after, I think, the Mars okay. thing, which would tie into it being his first year as a winemaker as opposed we've to We've got a, a lot of dates that we're going to have to try and tie up here because we've got the ship that he served with. We don't know when that ended. Can Gareth, we just stop Gareth? you there? The word we, what? timelines we, that, that's your gig, is that? <laughs> Okay, well, that, that, that's that's true. I just you, get, do, you do all the work. <laughs> I, do the t- I just claim all the glory. Because <laughs> you were always right. Exactly. <laughs> the timeline's I've... So I've, when Mark puts the timeline together... <laughs> you've already decided it's correct. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we will. There's a lot of things that I've kind of seen going on, which is when did Picard end? I know Gareth is going to speak to a man down the pub about it. <laughs> so by next week, he'll have already told us, whilst we're watching episode three, that that's what happened. But we don't know when he finished that commission on the new ship after Enterprise, when he started the vineyard, tying to the date of the wine. I don't think I like the idea of Picard being in charge of another ship. And I was a bit disappointed. It feels like he's cheating on me, Mum. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, I hear you. It does, because you just know Enterprise. Like, yeah. When Riker takes over as the captain of the Enterprise, I can live with that because it's a natural succession. It feels like Picard's rightly kept the seat warm. Yeah. But when Picard stops being the captain of the Enterprise, he should get his ass behind a desk. He shouldn't be going off and playing with lots of other ships because... How dare he? How dare he? <laughs> I agree. It's like you just want him to become an admiral, sit behind a desk and go, make it so. T. Earl Grey Hot engagement party. <laughs> For Gareth, apparently. Yeah. But I just I'm just not having it. I just not having him being the the in charge of another ship. And do admirals admirals don't have ships, do they? Not normally. It depends on whether he well he's an admiral, so if he wants to serve I mean the only person who could tell him off is a Commodore. Why is a Commodore rank above a, yeah, yeah. an admiral? Yeah, we see that in the original series. So why is she in like 
almost a lesser uniform, as it were. She's in a proper Starfleet uniform. No, she with does the have admirals in she another has one. Badge on her left breast. No, I know, but the Commodore's in right. a gold. The Commodore's in a gold uniform. They do well. They, when you go back to the original series, you'd know a Commodore because they were like lavishly. They had badges coming out of the kazoo. Yeah. Over time, admirals like you look at the next generation had more gold things like the um, the uniforms on V. They had a bit more to them to distinguish them, and then obviously commodores were more upmarket, I suppose. Right. So she's a commodore, which is higher than an admiral. Yeah, no, but the admiral was wearing a different uniform, wasn't she? She was wearing one with a bit like so she had the red undershirt yeah. and like almost like the grey top style uniform. Yeah. Whereas the commodore was wearing the more traditional. I'm not sure really. But it was when she bizarre, had the, wasn't it? She had the bag you see which indicates that she's a higher rank but yet i take your point about the uniform i don't know and is she a goodie and is she a baddie this is the thing we were talking about weren't we we were deciding whether she's section 31 again which again i don't know whether this is just a seed to be planted in people who are currently spinning off the discovery or is she both because a commodore might be in charge of both arms really well there seems to be a lot going on sub- subversive behavior there's yeah. a lot of stuff going on, and we've we've seen this before with the, with the parasite situation where Starfleet were the worms. The worms basically want for another word. We know there's there's a lot of times where well admirals particularly will go and work behind the scenes. We know the Talshar are embedded in Starfleet, so there's a lot of covert stuff going on, which I'm hoping will be developed as the series goes on. Because the Commodore knows about Lieutenant Rizzo having Narek as the spy on the Borg ship. Yeah, she knows that Narek is a Romulan who is subversively getting information. She must know, therefore, that Lieutenant Rizzo... It's difficult, isn't it? Does the Commodore think that Narek is working for the betterment of Starfleet? You see, I'm afraid you're going to have to take the lead on this because the first time I watched this, Gareth turned up and talked over the last five <laughs> minutes. I And I didn't even get to find out more. Well, on the, on the second time, I got to find out more. But then he proceeded to talk over it again. <laughs> so I know a bit more than I did on the second viewing than I did on the first. What happens is the Commodore talked to Rizzo. Right. And as a go-to... Now, this is something that's not clear. By all means, let us know. She says she bollocksed up the first attempt to bring in the synthetic, right. i.e. Dash. Yeah. And I don't know what that means. I don't know whether that meant that they were the ones who appeared in her flat. Yes. Or... Yes, it will be. Yeah. Because there's, only, because there's two of them. So the first... You can only have two attempts, can't you? So the first attempt was the guy spat the acid on her. She yeah, but combusted. The, but they were all... But they were Romulan, weren't they? So, again... Yeah, but it, she's Romulan. Yeah, but does the Commodore know no, she's Romulan? No, no, he, no. I didn't know because Gareth was talking over it. <laughs> Turns out when I watched it the second time and he didn't talk for a few seconds, I got to find out that she's obviously got to look human. The Commodore thinks that this lieutenant is in, embedded with them to convince the... She's working as double agents. Yeah. The first attempt would have been the one that died. Yeah. The second attempt is the one that Narek, Narek is sleeping with. Yeah. And it turns out she's the sister of. Yeah. Which I didn't understand because Gareth was talking. <laughs> and so then... It was a bit of a surprise for me on the second <laughs> viewing. It was it was a bit like Star Wars. They go, he's your father. You go, what? But I'm just like with you. Not, not, he didn't sleep with Darth Vader. Obviously, that's completely wrong. <laughs> Which Star Wars yeah. are you looking for? I know. <laughs> well, clearly not that one. Star Wars. Yeah, the favourites. So it was a bit of a surprise for me on the second rotation of watching it. It's like, oh, I get it now. Thank you for talking. <laughs> Well, you you know what I'm talking about. How many times have we been to the cinema and then there's somebody crinkling, crinkling crisps or chomping down on the loudest popcorn 
and you go over and have a quiet word. I, I love that. Best time to go to the cinema is with a Yorkshireman. So I, uh, this is where I feel it is at the minute. I think the Commodore and the Federation are being portrayed as being bad guys, and I don't think they are. I think they're just working their contacts, thinking that they're getting good information on the risks that exist both in terms of the synthetics existing, any infiltrations, etc. However, they're dumb because they don't realise they're being played right back again by the people they're using to try and play the system. So the people they think they're getting the information from are actually not the Tal Shiar, they're the... Shabadang Vaj. Shabadang they are they are those people and therefore they're playing their own game and using the federation to help them achieve their goals and i think that's probably going to become more apparent which doesn't do the commodore any favors because that's going to make her look like a bit of a schmuck yeah um, there's a lot of subversion going on you know with the Shatvaj, the Talshiar, the borg story the woman who's the sister but looks like a human who does a really bad english accent but then there's the guy who's english in fact and is obviously Talshiar, but Shatvaj. but talks like an english person would in an american show because yeah. I don't know if you're listening, guys, but... We're not American. I don't know if you've noticed, we sound nothing like... It's like a sort of, um, yes, there's a chance that we may find them, the Shadvaj. Actually, Shadvaj sounds better when you say it like that, do <laughs> It sounds less like you've got diarrhoea. Yeah. This has to kind of, in the next eight episodes, really untangle itself very quickly because we're going to lose narrative, we're going to lose good storytelling at the risk of the shortness of the series. We are. I think that is the main issue because being able to see what's going to go on from the bad guy's perspective whilst he's doing the recruitment process in the next episode, as we've said before, that only leaves seven more episodes to get your sleeves rolled up and get stuck in. And I'm sure they'll leave loads of cliffhangers at the end of episode 10 because they know know they've got a season two. I was going to say, we know there's a season two. But that's going to leave me well and truly annoyed if I feel like we haven't achieved something in this season and then only to have to wait, what, another 12 or 18 months or however long it might be to watch the next bit. The thing with streaming channels is they do turn them around quite quickly in terms of seasons. This is the, the way television's consumed now is... You get your episodes either 10, 13, 15, 16, whatever. We're not getting the 22 or 23 episodes we used to get unless it's a, a procedural drama. We might get 10 episodes for season two. We might get more for season two because sometimes when there's more confidence built on a, a new show, they go, well, we, you know, we'll book you for a couple more episodes. Well, we've got oh, Whoopi to look forward to. Guinan's back. Indeed. Well, we, I was thinking of calling this 10 forward, this, this podcast. You were. I think Picard talks better, isn't it? Well, it has to be now because we've picked it. <laughs> bit late now and to be fair there's a a lot more things that can happen season two clearly has got a a direction it's going and maybe because don't forget Guinan's got a massive connection to the Borg yeah that's valuable it's gonna be interesting what they do with her Mm. because she technically shouldn't really age a huge amount but obviously naturally well Whoopi Goldberg is 20 years older so it'd be interesting how they work her in and where she's at and what she's doing really maybe they've given the heads up so she can get herself to the gym (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the one that Brett Spiner used. Yeah. Good luck. You're going to be on season two. We've given you a whole year now. I'm so excited because I love Guinan. I think Guinan's an amazing character. She brought to Next Generation your barman kind of... Because Picard didn't have... Who does Picard talk to? Yeah. So all the people are talking to Picard and these sort of dilemmas and peace conferences and, and you know learning new languages for negotiations. Who does he talk to? She, Guinan. She Picarded. Picard. Yeah, and she was the wise one for when Picard was like, I'm not sure what to do. She would just drop in a little little subtle story and he'd go, 
know exactly what you're talking about. That's what I'm going to do. Why it was amazing. And it was in a bar setting. Yeah. So it was a bit like Cheers. Do you or, think she's still in a bar? She's probably she's probably lap dancing now. <laughs> <laughs> For credits. <laughs> There's no way to go. Have we got any uh, stats, facts? Warning! Warning! We've got some nice Easter eggs, some we've already covered. Sadly, I think we've missed a trick with this episode, Children of Mars. We, I think we would have got a lot more to get our teeth stuck into. We're just second class citizens. We're like the synthetics, aren't we, Wheels Brits? That's true, yeah. We're treated we don't, very, we don't, very poorly. We don't get it. Obviously, we get the, the Romulans doing their business on the Borg cube. We then obviously appears, appears to be... They flush afterwards. <laughs> Hey. The artifact, as it's known, it appears to be tethered to the massacre on Mars. And so, obviously, there's a lot of callbacks and there's a lot of Easter eggs. The ones, notably, that we see at the very beginning of the episode is the Mars Belisha shipyards. Yeah. Outside of which, we see what looks like the shuttle design from Star Trek Nemesis. If you remember, it's the one that transports the um, vehicle that Picard drives, the Argo. Mm. Remember that? So that was there. We've mentioned already uh, Synth F8. Sounds like fate. Uh, similar skin tone and colour color eye to Data. Again, we mentioned briefly like the Blade Runner sort of link. Or B4 F8. Oh, B, B4, B4 F8. F8. Yeah. There's obviously links to, to Data. We get callback to First Contact Day, as I mentioned early on. It also means that the massacre on Mars led to his leaving Starfleet on the same day as Starfleet was essentially born. Mm. Interesting. We get to see the Telshiar, which we kind of named dropped a lot as we this this episode uh, which was obviously first introduced in the next generation episode face of the enemy the thing you mentioned last episode was dixon hill mm-hmm. so we get a little bit of his exploits with that sort of space matlock style investigation we get to see recharging stations on the board cube yeah again kind of a call back to first contact we get to see the all good things we mentioned which was the uh, all good things disease that picard was given or not we'd been given he was diagnosed with it yeah so- we get zap fash for which he get cream. <laughs> he got Zatvash. I think he got some cream for Zatvash. Picard's trip to Starfleet got a cameo, as I mentioned, from an Andorian, which you mentioned above the uh, Starfleet HQ. We get to see the two iconic Starfleet. Another little thing. Did you mention it was from Discovery? Yes. Yeah, I, 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 hadn't, I didn't notice that, but that's a good, good shout, isn't it? Thank you very much. That's one in about thirty episodes. <laughs> We get the CNC when he goes to the front desk. He has a meeting in CNC, which was first heard in the Star Trek VI film, Undiscovered Country. Now, I mentioned this, which again has been mentioned in this episode. Androids and synths was the laws of robotics, Isaac Asimov. Now, Dr. Gerati reads the study to Picard, which is a bit of a nod to the, the laws of robotics. And then we get to see the duplicitous Vulcan Commodore. We get the Vulcan Eidic, a symbol of the Vulcan philosophy, which again, we've mentioned a few times on our Disco Fever one. Another cool shot, I think you mentioned, in fact, we get to see Picard standing by the fireplace and his face in a clock. It looks like a Christmas card picture does that one. It looks to be a nod from the famous line in the film Star Trek Generations, time is the fire in which we burn. Boom. Classic line, how dare you lecture me, a line uttered by Admiral Joran Picard showdown with her in his office, which is fantastic. A little bit of a wink to the scene of 94 film Clear and Present Danger, where the exact line was uttered by Harrison Ford, Jack Ryan and the President. Does that mean that the Admiral's a film buff? <laughs> and she's, she's just 
throwing out film quotes when she can. Probably. The final, final one, which kind of end this section of Easter eggs and observations. Rafi, who was played by actress Michelle Heard, has her homestead on Vasquez Rocks, which is a popular locale home to many of the Star Treks over the years. The original series Arena, where it has that wonderful, wonderful fight scene with Kirk and the Gorn. But it was the first time that we get to see it in this making use of kind of canon, really. Why would she live on a desert planet? She's actually just on... It was used as a desert planet in the Star Trek episode. She's living in Vasquez Rocks, mm. the legitimate place. Now, interestingly enough, I didn't know this, but um, our cheeky wannabe pseudo-podcaster mentioned this. Who? Gaz. Yeah. And he said, did, did, you, did you notice? Was this during the yeah, show? Yeah, so, uh, yeah. That's probably why I didn't hear him. No, well, it was during the first time I was watching it. Actually, I had 13 minutes left to go whilst I had the narration <laughs> over my right shoulder. <laughs> now, imagine if you will, you've just paid £9 to watch a film and the man who'd be sitting behind you was just chatting. <laughs> he was saying, oh yeah, I bet, I bet you didn't know this, did you? And I was like, I don't know, because I've got 13 minutes to watch. There's probably a lot I don't know at this stage. And he said, y- you know, the taxi that drops Picard off is the Discovery shuttles. I was like, no, I didn't. And he's like, well, just, it just goes to show, doesn't it? it just so they just painted it yellow and put taxi on the Basically, side. Basically, what, what Gareth was saying, because obviously he's, he's um, all things Star Trek, was telling me they're still in use, but they're being used as taxis now because it's old tech. Yeah. Star Trek uh, was- that makes sense, doesn't it? So that, it's a, again, it's a yeah. nice callback. So it's a callback to Star Trek Discovery with the shuttles yeah. that were brand spanking new in Discovery time. Yeah. Because they're old technology now, taxi drivers are just using them. Yeah, oh, that's cool. That. Which is valid, because as we were saying before, you know, the ships, classification of the ships doesn't mean that they stop making them. They just get updated and whatever, so you're all retrofitted. Mm. Thank you, Gareth. I wouldn't have found that out myself. <laughs> he does have his uses. He does. And then he disappears into the night. He does. Isn't he he's like a Star Trek robber? <laughs> Where do we stand on this show, then? Because you went heavy for episode one. I went nine, didn't I? You went nine. You went in Heavy. I went in hard talk. And um, this time I... Do you want me to tell you first what I did? Yeah. Eight. Okay. And I'll, I'll give you the reasons to evidence my decision of eight. Do. I liked some version of the story and the fact that there's lots of things happening. I like the secretiveness of the Telshar and the Vaj- Vajrash... <laughs> I, I quite like the Vajrash. Well, I don't want the Vajrash, if I'm being honest. I, I've just had some yoghurt on it. <laughs> I liked the Borg story. Again, it, I suppose it's confirmation bias. It's, it's kind of lending itself to my theory that the Borg are going to go... Uh, well, it's going to be a massive return in the Borg. Apart from being Picard, which gets many points for being Picard, possibly introduction of the Borg, and also the, the Telshiar. Mm. Loved all those things. Take on board your points about the fact that some of it was a little bit convoluted and went on, didn't need to go into the detail for some things. That's probably why it lost the point. I don't think it was convoluted. I just think it was squeezed into a sh- too sh- small a space. If you're going to give that much information, give it in a, a less frantic intense block. There's a lot of information, isn't there? So it lost a point for that. Well, that's why I've gone in for a seven. Okay. I could have been taught towards an eight when I watched it a second time, and I suspect if I watched it a third time, I'd probably be more persuaded towards the eight as opposed to the six end of a spectrum. Okay. But I, I just... 
I just feel like this is the middle bit of a story that's a three-parter. It, okay. fe- it, I feel I feel like I'm frustrated because I haven't been told the information. I'm annoyed that I've got to wait till episode three for him to get the crew together and to get off Earth. I feel like a third of the season building up to actually getting on with doing the thing is, yeah. feels too long. Absol- well, yeah, I agree with that. That's where I'm kind of sitting on that. But it's still a good episode. I still enjoyed it. I still love all the new tech. I love seeing how things have changed. I thought some of the scenes were very clever. It's still a stunningly beautiful shot series. There's loads of redeeming features about it. I love some of the characters. I'll be gutted if Laris doesn't go with them on the ship because I think she's a cracking character. Both of them are very good comic yeah. relief and in the absence of Guinan, they kind of are his kind of go-to people, aren't they? Well, she says it as it is. and yeah. he. I think he's quite wise and quite quiet and and considered but probably no less useful than she is but she's the fiery one so he'll probably throw out some really good nuggets in a nice calm quiet ad hoc way where she's throwing teacups or well picard keeps on having to replicate tea sets because she's just throwing them all the world's biggest tea sets i mean she dropped a pot (laughs) she dropped the world's smallest pot and there was like when you look on the floor there was like the equivalent of 15 teapots on the floor (laughs) It's a good episode. I can't wait to get episode three out of the way because I think it'll be a good one. It'll be nice to see all the people that we're going to see. But it'd be nice to put this first part to bed so that I feel I'm ready to get on with the nitty gritty. I think I'm going to struggle this season to give anything below a seven. Wow. Bold. I, I think, yeah, because it's Picard. And do you know what I like about Picard and the fact that this is set where it is, is he, I kind of feel some of his anguish in a way because he's kind of outdated. The Federation's moved on in a different direction than the way he remembers it and the way he was. So he's remained the same. He's He's been, you know, constant. And, and I love the fact that he's not changed. However, everything else has. And so he's now, as he said, a relic. It was mentioned in this episode, but he's kind of the relic where his time's gone in a way and I think he realises that and now what he has got is the mortality to know that his time is limited as well and everybody likes to be valued what I do hope is if we do see these new people coming that they're not just a whistle stop tour because of the time problem so on the on the trailers we see all these people and everyone's going oh my word this is amazing will they be you know, kind of Riker riding past on well, a the shuttle? Riker scene is the Riker scene going to be a 10 second he yep. goes in goes hi guys into the kitchen hi Deanna how are you doing I'm good um, do you have to go and do something while just to take uh, Will out on onto the veranda and they go on the veranda he goes I'm going to do something stupid and Riker goes yeah I know but uh, you should do it anyway oh great bye Bye. I hope they don't do that yeah I do because what you've done then is you've shortchanged the viewer at the moment different different feeling entirely to discovery and I like the way it's going it's telling the story it's not telling me things I already know do you know what I mean I don't need to be reminded of stuff that I already know I need to know something I don't know and that's why I like it yeah yeah so Episode two, done. Episode three, looking forward to it. Let's crack on. If you've enjoyed this show, please give us a five-star review because that would be really, really cool. Uh, Tell all your family and your friends. Tell your neighbours. Tell your dog. Tell anyone with that fash. (laughs) If anyone's got bad bad rash, see a doctor immediately. um, Or in the absence of that, just rub some cheese on it. Um, uh, give us a follow on the socials we're at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook it's at Picard Talk uh, that's P-I-C 
H A R D talk. Uh, we did we did have an in- issue with our Instagram. We're a bit slow with the old socials because uh, I managed to get us locked out of our Instagram page. My, com- my computer lost signal while we were in the process of setting the account up, and Instagram's decided I didn't adhere to the terms and conditions and decided to disable it. I actually, all serious, I found I'm thinking I haven't heard from them for ages. So check the junk mail box. And it turns out that last week, Instagram had sent me a, an email going, um, if this is really you and you're not a robot, please can you take a picture of yourself holding a piece of paper with a code written down with your face in full view? Seriously, I think someone's mugging me off. Because <laughs> I, I had to take a selfie holding a piece of paper. It looked like I was getting one of those, you know, those prison shots where you're the yeah. number underneath. Was it in your big pants? <laughs> it was. <laughs> Someone's that come just underneath the armpits. Yeah. Some hacker in China's laughing their chops off. <laughs> well, that's their fault because if, if they find it funny just me wearing my pants and not offensive to the eyeballs, then good for them. They might have seen the eyeballs, if I'm being honest. <laughs> <laughs> and the eyebrows. <laughs> Anyway, um, you can email us. We forgot to mention that. Picard Talk uh, at thepodstation.co.uk. So that's always cool. Let us know your thoughts. If you've got any questions, if you've missed anything, if we've asked ourselves a question here, we didn't know the answer to yeah, feel tell free. us because yeah. we'd love to hear it in an email that we can read at our leisure when we're not watching the show as opposed to Gaz who'll tell us the answer while as it's happening yeah, as yeah. it's happening yeah. yeah so that's really cool you can find loads of other shows on the pod station fill uh, your boots you can the Disco Fever will series be. 1 and 2 will be with us very shortly when season 3 comes out we're going to be doing that as well that season 3 will be kind of as we're doing these yeah, we, we we uploaded very very quickly, and that's um, the social media for those is at Disco Fever Trek, so you can find them. Uh, where can they find you personally, Mark? Yeah, <laughs> sit you, down, you're... get a piece of paper, relax. Well, you won't have found me yet because last episode I gave you the wrong Twitter account. <laughs> did you? Really, yeah, did, did you ready to tell? I managed. No, no, no. I just I didn't realize. You left it. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I didn't realize it doesn't have an underscore between Mark and Latham. Let me let me tell you what it is, and get a cup of ale, Grey, because this is taking time. <laughs> yeah, it's it's Mark Latham, very simple enough. Underscore M K I I or Mark Two, if you're a fan of Iron Man. I know I have to say that because it's the only comparison to that display. And I'm Mark R Pollard, so you can let me know too. <laughs> yeah. I think that's about it. Oh, Patreon. We always forget the most important thing to keep these things. It is running. the most important thing. We're on Patreon. You probably guy, you guys and girls probably know all about Patreon. It allows us to keep these. Uh, podcast going and the content that we have across the pod station keeps us able to do this because we put a lot of our own personal time into these things there will be wonderful uh, tiers that you can apply to which suits your budget and and from that it won't be a fresh air fee there will be freebies and discounts galore specials we'll send you one of them as well <laughs> uh, yeah so that's patreon.com forward slash the pod station that's about it really isn't it i believe so oh well let's do it Make it so, number one. (laughs) 